reading for today is from the Gospel according to Luke, in the 14th chapter. Now large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and he turned and said to them, Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even life itself, cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to wage war against another king, will not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? If he cannot, then, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for the terms of peace. So therefore, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's Labor Day weekend. You made the effort to be here. You deserve credit for that. Appreciation, praise. And instead, Jesus drops his most difficult words of the gospel. You're welcome. Come back next week. I heard a man on the radio the other day trying to console his audience about the end of summer. He said, yes, it's the end of summer, but hey, it's just the beginning of football season. There's still a reason to get out of bed. Aren't we glad? I'm a lukewarm football fan at best, and I'm cooling off with each passing season. When I was in sixth grade, I could name for you the starting lineup. Offense and defense for the Redskins and some of the reserves. I think I could tell you there are two main quarterbacks this year. I can't name the coach for you. I do know the owner. He's well known. Someone asked me the other day how Duke and Walford were going to be this football season. I had no idea. I blamed our newspaper. They don't cover the good schools enough. The truth is, more often than not, on Sunday mornings, one of you will come to me and say, too bad about Duke yesterday, and then I'll know they lost. Unless it's John Jacobs, if he comes up and says that, I'll know Duke won. Despite my childhood passion, I won't be celebrated as an outstanding football supporter for these programs. And that's not unique to me. Life happens. Priorities change. Maybe football isn't as exciting for you these days as it once was. Maybe it's something else that has lost its luster. Most of us have poured ourselves into something and for various reasons eventually become less focused on that something, less excited by it. Our passion or at least our attention moves in other directions. 
That can happen with religion, too. Luke reports that the crowds are piling up behind Jesus, traveling with Him, getting enthusiastic about Him. It reminds me of a scene from Forrest Gump. If you're old enough to remember, and young enough to remember, if you're the right age to remember... There's a scene in Forrest Gump where he's off running, and first he's by himself, and then a few people gather behind him, and then a few more, and all of a sudden it's a movement of people running behind him. And finally he stops, and he turns around, and they all stop and hush, thinking something profound is about to come out of his mouth, what some wisdom he has accumulated over all these miles of running. Instead, he just starts his way back home. Jesus had this crowd behind him. They've been growing. They've been accumulating. And then he, too, turns around. But unlike Forrest Gump, he has something profound to say, perhaps more than they wanted to hear, more demanding than they wanted. If you want to follow me, you have to hate your parents. You have to hate your children. Hate your spouse. Hate even life itself. And those of us who love our families and love our lives would think we'd be the first to then turn around and go home. That our enthusiasm would wane as soon as the demands get so high. We assume that of ourselves, but maybe not. Maybe not if we are more than casual fans. Maybe not if we realize Jesus thinks we have something to offer. I wouldn't put football above my family, church, my God. But there are times when other priorities creep in. When my commitment is not all that it could be. It's not that I, don't, that I hate God, it's, it's that I don't love God as well as I could. Which I think is Jesus' concern here. Are we loving God as well as we can? And the only way to test that is how are we living? Are we living our lives in relationship with God? Are we living our lives in obedience to God's? Expectations Are we living our lives in ways that reflect God's kingdom? Where is God in our list of priorities? Jesus thinks enough of us to think that we could do better. To motivate us, Jesus put things in stark contrast. He uses a word that our Bibles translate hate. We don't like that word. I don't like that word. I don't even like it. Saying that word. I sure don't like the idea of hating family and my life. It turns out we have plenty to defend our discomfort with this. Plenty that uh, is reassuring in this. Every scholar I read, every single scholar I read on this has said that our word hate is, is not exactly the word that they would have used in Greek that is really more of a spectrum. It's well within our faith. 
We've been commanded to honor our father and mother. It is deep within our faith to care for our siblings, to to care for our spouse, our children. We are created in the image of God. We are to care for ourselves. We are precious in His sight. Hating our lives and hating others is not biblical. So every scholarly source I turned to said we're right to resist that word. They say it's really about priorities. About where things rank in our lives, in our loves, in our devotion. We look at Jesus. He showed deference to his mother. He respected her. He loved her. But also when she and his brothers could not get to him because of the crowds and they came and interrupted and said, your mother and your brothers are out there and they can't get to you, he did not stop everything to get to them. He instead said, my mother and my brothers are the ones who do God's will. Jesus had his priorities right. He did not hate his mother and his brothers, but he also didn't drop everything in that moment to go be with them. He pushed back against our limited definitions of who is family, of where our priorities need to be with family. I know this is radical in the South. The very idea that anything or anyone would come above mama. But if we're talking mamas and Jesus, Maybe the mamas might agree that there are times when he should come first. Before I lose the most important demographic in the church, mamas, let me ask you, mamas, do you in your heart want your child, your grandchild, to revolve around you? Or have you given of yourself to help your child and grandchild follow Jesus? Look, I'm a son. I have children. I am not saying hate your mama. I'm saying love your mama and your daddy. Like your football team if you want to. But center your world on Jesus. Give him your life. Follow him. He believes you can do it. That's what he's trying to say to us. You can follow me. You can center your world on me. And to do that, parts of your life will have to be reprioritized. Centering your life on Jesus could mean at times that you would like to watch that football game, but Mrs. So-and-so needs a new roof on her house. And so you go to deal with that. It could mean at times that you'd like to go and cut Mama's grass, but your church needs you that day, and so you have to wait till the next one to help her. It could mean at times that you would enjoy using your money to get the next television package, the one that includes all the games that weekend. But until you give your full tithe, you don't feel right about that. It may well have meant that today you thought about honoring Labor Day by staying home. 
Instead, you chose to come and honor God. I really don't believe Jesus wants you to hate your mama and your daddy, your spouse and your children, or your life. He wants you to love them and to love your life. And as a way of doing that, to love God and put Him first in your life. Several years ago, I was asked to preach the baptism sermon for one of my closest friends. It was his first child, his daughter, his joy. I went out there and and preached, and he listened carefully. He took it very seriously. He's a preacher. He cried. I told him and his wife, their church, Today you're giving Ellie back to God. For God to do with her what He will. And that may mean that she'll grow up to be a school teacher in your hometown just as you would have her do. But it could also mean that God may call her to witness for justice and peace in some dangerous place to serve and love people by being with them, not just praying for them. She may not live anywhere close to where you live or do anything close to what you would design for her to do. With tears in his eyes, he mouthed, I know. Now that was not hating his daughter. It was loving her enough to trust her to God. And loving God enough to trust him with her hard to be a disciple like that. And there are lots of times when we will have to ask forgiveness because we claim discipleship but haven't counted the cost. Haven't considered how costly discipleship is and when we find out what the cost is, haven't been willing to submit to it. We won't get it right every day. But we will every year read about a man who came and surrendered his life on the cross. We will every week keep crosses in front of us to remind us of his sacrifice and to remember that he told us to take up our cross. We will every day ask God to make us better disciples. We'll start there. Start with an earnest eagerness to meet To not just be called a follower, but to actually follow. Jesus can work with that. Even when our enthusiasm fades and distractions arise and other passions tempt. The Holy Spirit is impressive. He can do a lot with a little. So he can certainly do a lot with a lot. You don't have to hate in order to love. If you'll let him, God will help you love God and follow Jesus, and then I believe the rest of the priorities will fall into place. One of the ways we give ourselves to God and God gives himself to us is Holy Communion. It's in communion that we realize our family is bigger than our mothers and fathers and spouses and sisters and brothers and children. 
In communion that we surrender our wills to God's will. It's in communion that we experience mercy for that which we have yet to surrender. It's in communion that we remember Jesus' sacrifice and offer our own. It's in communion that we join Jesus and others in celebrating this meal. We remember that on the night in which Jesus gave himself up for us, he took bread and gave thanks to God and broke the bread. And that he gave it to his disciples, his followers, and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this as often as you do it in remembrance of me. Remember that after supper, Jesus took the cup, and when he had given thanks to the Father, he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, drink. This is the blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so, remembering these things, and realizing that they are as true today as they have ever been. Let's turn to God in prayer.